Welcome to the Strong Like Mum podcast. Yay! This podcast is sponsored by Pregnacare. Pregnacare vitamin and mineral supplements provide advanced nutritional support for every stage of pregnancy, before, during and after. They include vitamin D and the exact levels of folic acid as recommended by the UK Department of Health. Yay! Welcome back to another Strong Like Mum podcast episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Sarah Kayat, NHS GP, TV doctor for this morning and brand new mum to five-week-old Harris. Um, Today, I have the opportunity to ask Sarah in-depth questions about pregnancy, labour and the immediate postnatal period. I also have a list of some of your most frequently asked questions so I can get the most up-to-date information and bust any myths or old wife tales that still seem to be circulating the prenatal world. Um, Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Hello, hello. Um, You've had four hours sleep this (laughs) evening. So so I I mean, I feel for you and also you're scaring me because that's one baby. So I'm not sure what's going to happen with twins. But I really appreciate you taking your time today to talk to us. No worries. I mean, four hours is, is, is a luxury for some, I think. So um, I'm just going to take it and run. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> take what you can. Exactly. Um, so I, I really wanted to start with this question. And I, I've you know been looking forward to speaking with you so much. And this is kind of based on a personal experience, actually. But I think there'll be lots of women out there that can relate. I really struggled during my first trimester um, with morning sickness in particular, but also... For me, in terms of mental health, that's a real time where I struggled because you mm. can't really tell many people and you can't tell your work. And so you've got that those pressures coming in. But at the same time, you're not feeling quite yourself. There's physical changes, but you can't fully celebrate the news that there's a baby. And I almost felt as though the medical professionals that I reached out to were a bit dismissive. You know, they were like, oh, well, mm. you know, let's just let's just speak at 10, 12 weeks and then see how where we are. Um, what support is available during the first trimester for women? I think you're absolutely right. It's difficult because for a lot of people, their primary support network are their friends and family who they can't or don't often tell until after the 12 week mark. And Mm. ordinarily, I would say, well, then the next step is, of course, you know, speak to a healthcare professional like your GP. But that's so upsetting to hear that you're somewhat dismissed throughout it, because they are the people that should be able to support you through it. Um, Mm. And they're also the people that kind of are the gateway to uh, the perinatal mental health team where mo- all mums are allowed to be referred to as should they wish and it you know mm. it's a mental health team that supports mums through their pregnancy and also postnatally as well uh, because it is really common you know postnatal depression for example affects one in ten people um, mm. so mental health issues surrounding pregnancy is is just something that we we should really be um, very fluid with, um, but yeah. it, it sounds like potentially that's not happening everywhere. So does it depend on where you are, like, you know, different different NHS hospitals might have different systems in place for that first trimester support? 
I mean, absolutely different, different CCGs, so different areas will have different types of networks, but they should all have perinatal uh, mental health teams. I think it also somewhat depends on your GP as well um, and, you know, how confident they are with mental health and um, with pregnancy. But where that kind of support isn't available, there are lots of online support groups as well that are available for women, um, mm. you know, things like Tommy's and, um, and uh, you know, different kind of mind and, and things like that will, will be able to support you through it because it's not always, it doesn't always have to be relating to the pregnancy itself. You know, sometimes mental health problems can be related to other things and it just so happens that you are pregnant. Um, mm. So I mm. think, you know, it is important just to, to manage that mental health aspect of things um, through, through online support as well. In terms of um, treatment or options to help you cope with things like that, mm. what kind of options are there available to women that are pregnant? And, you know, for example, antidepressants, are, they, mm. are there any that are recommended throughout pregnancy? Yeah, so I think when it comes to um, treatment, we always start with the initial self-help aspect of things. So making sure that you're trying to get a bit of exercise in, you know, healthy diet, getting enough sleep, um, where possible I know it can be really hard in pregnancy but yeah sleep and um, making sure that you've got you know friends that you can have a chat to on the phone if not in person because of lockdown and things like that um, mm. there's also the aspect of um, CBT so cognitive behavioral therapy and and psychological support therapy um, which is usually the next step up um, and that's something you can be referred or in most places I can't speak for everywhere but most places you can self-refer for those as well Mm -hmm. so you don't have to um you don't have to go via your GP for for that type of support um but yes medication is needed by some um there are some antidepressants that are are a no-no in pregnancy but there are also others that can be taken now most of them will suggest that um, they can be taken if the benefit outweighs the risks because they do all have a small risk associated with them. But when it comes to, to mental health in pregnancy, if you're, if you're actually suffering enough that you do need medication for it, then it's usually an indicator that if you weren't to be on that medication, perhaps you wouldn't be eating properly, you wouldn't be sleeping properly, maybe mm. you'd be even you know, having suicidal thoughts and, and all of those kind of stress factors aren't good for you or for your baby. And it's times like that where we decide, okay, the benefits of taking that actually does outweigh any potential risk. Mm. I think um, two of the things that you've just said there that popped out at me, the first thing is, all these simple, um, sa- simple in inverted commas, uh, remedies that you're su- that you're suggesting, such as uh, walking, you know, exercise, sleep, um, talking to friends and family, they seem they seem almost. I remember feeling as if like, well, that's never going to help me. Like that's ridiculous. I can talk to my family all the time. You know, I I need some real help, but mm. actually there's real scientific evidence behind all of those things you know the impact that sleep or lack of sleep can have on stress and cortisol and exercise and endorphins and it, they those small things actually have a very real can have a very real positive impact in particular exercise um so i would you know think it's really important to reiterate that from personal experience those small things have really helped me um and then also, I think what's tricky um, 
with what you've said there is because I, I suffered with morning sickness and I went to the GP and the GP would always say, no, no, nothing you can take, nothing you can take. It's not safe. It's not safe. And then when I went to see my midwife for the first time at nine weeks, she saw what a state I was in and she said, oh, my gosh, like you cannot you cannot live like this. I was like hanging over my chair, couldn't eat, had a plastic bag with me. She was like, this is not good. So she said, um, you know, these ones are safe. Take this, this or this or you know, these are your options. But I was so torn because I thought, you know, when and they and they always said, you know, if the benefits outweigh the risks. And then I thought, but that that's pressure on me. I felt like, well, hang on a minute. You know, if basically what you're saying is if I feel I really need it, but I didn't feel like I could make that choice. But I understand it's really difficult from a medical standpoint. Um, And I guess would your advice be, look, if a medical professional has advised you, look, we recommend that you take this, that you can take that as a sign of, you know, this is actually going to benefit you more than, you know, as you're saying, the benefits outweigh the risks. Mm. Well, I think it's really hard because morning sickness is such a spectrum. You get, you know, some people that just wake up and feel like they've got a bit of a hangover and it's it's unpleasant, don't get me wrong, but, you know, you can get through your day. And then you've got other people where it actually does really significantly affect their day-to-day life. And that's kind of what it sounds like you had. Mm. And then you've got the extreme end where it's hyperemesis gravidarum and that's where you just don't stop vomiting. You can't eat at all. You can't drink at all. And you're, mm. you know, you start to get very dehydrated and the malnourishment means that, you know, it could be affecting the baby. Mm. Um, and so I think it kind of lies where uh, it depends on where you lie on that spectrum and I think most pregnant mums don't really want to be taking anything unless they need to and so Mm. for those that are at that early part of that spectrum yeah you know it's it's probably a matter of you you making that judgment call for yourself and and seeing how you feel I think when you're in that middle middle zone um that's where it gets a little bit trickier because um there is that fine balance between maintaining your health and 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 weighing up that that potential risk of the medication but in all honesty we now have you know fairly robust studies to show that some of those anti-sickness tablets are are pretty much safe you know they are safe in Mm. pregnancy and so I, i i don't want you know people to be petrified of taking medication in pregnancy if it's something that they need you know if you were really struggling and not only kind of physically but that then starts to affect your mental health as you kind of mentioned then Mm. I think it is just a matter of saying okay well you know what the risk is very low the doctor has said the risk is low you can take it if you need it I'd say just take it you know yeah yeah and I remember one midwife saying to me look you'll get the same advice with paracetamol you'll get the same Mm -hmm. advice with Gaviscon later on in pregnancy if you suffer with acid reflux and everything is like you know check with your GP or the butt kind of always falls to you guys (laughs) you know even I as a as a fitness professional I my advice is always look before you do any exercise pre or postnatally make sure you've been cleared for exercise by a GP so so often that is you know your advice that or your advice if the benefits outweigh the risks and as you said maybe you know hopefully women listening to this who are struggling can just really take a little bit of confidence in knowing that um there are cases where it's absolutely fine and there's a lot of research to back up that actually the majority of things out there that will be recommended to you are are going to be safe in pregnancy but of course always discuss it with your medical team absolutely I couldn't have said it better myself <laughs> um let's uh talk again like uh 
just move the conversation on slightly to vitamins and minerals. So mm. we all know about taking prenatal vitamins. Or I say we all know. I had no idea my first pregnancy about folic acid. And I got to my, I was one of my first, one of the first out of my friendship groups to get pregnant. And I remember going to the midwife at nine weeks. She was like, are you taking folic acid? I was like, what is that? I don't even know. <laughs> and, um, and now, of course, I'm, I'm really aware of that. And that's probably one of, the, one of the ones that most women are aware of. But in terms of prenatal vitamins, postnatal vitamins, what vitamins would you recommend uh, before birth and, and after pregnancy? So vitamins are a massive market and um, you will find that there are going to be companies that are recommending, you know, multiple different vitamins for your prenatal and postnatal journeys. Um, but in all honesty, all you need, providing you've got a full and healthy and varied diet, is the folic acid, which we actually recommend you try and start taking before you fall pregnant. Um, you mm-hmm. know, ideally, you know, three months before, just to get those levels up, and then carry it on um, yeah. until you're twelve weeks pregnant. Um, but also, when you're pregnant, vitamin D, um, because we aren't really getting a huge amount from from the sun in the UK. Although, you know, last week was pretty good, but um, (laughs) in the UK, we don't tend to get a huge amount. And so uh, a lot of people are deficient in it. And so we recommend that you continue vitamin D all throughout the pregnancy, but also carry it on whilst you're breastfeeding as well. Right. Um, Do you need to change your beauty routine during pregnancy? So again, I've never, I don't have much of a beauty routine. (laughs) um but I know lots of you know I, I don't dye my hair for example but I've heard lots of my other friends speaking about the fact that they can't dye their hair during pregnancy are there things that you need to be looking at in your beauty routine ah well um so it kind of depends on the types of beauty regimes you have so for example if you're on that kind of far end spectrum and you're getting botox and fillers and stuff like that done those are no longer recommended in in pregnancy if you're more mm-hmm. of a just the cream on your face type of gal <laughs> generally it's fine it's just you want to avoid any that contain retinol in them um so you, you know a lot of people have been getting retinol types of creams because there is quite a lot of evidence to support that being really hydrating for your skin and reducing wrinkles and you know that it's pretty fantastic stuff but in pregnancy it can actually cause harm to your baby so um just double check that um and then i guess in terms of hair dye um it's 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 a difficult one that they recommend that you you try and wait till you're past the 12 week mark um but there isn't a significant amount of evidence to suggest that it would actually cause any harm before. Um, but it's just that in those first 12 weeks, whilst development is, you know, at its most prime, um, mm. that's, you know, the recommendation is avoid if, if possible. But as I said, no, no real robust studies to, to suggest either way. And the retinol is, it'll be clearly labelled on the bottle or is it something that, or the tub, or is it something that might have a few different names or? Um, yeah, it, it's, it's a difficult one because a lot of the time it will be highlighted pretty significantly on the bottle because it's a selling feature for a lot of these creams. But um, it okay. can also be known as vitamin A. So they might have written it as vitamin vitamin A on the on the bottle so look out for that too um it's a derivative of vitamin a but 
Okay. Hopefully, I'd like to think that most of them would say it. But if I'm honest, I tend to just use the really basic stuff. And that way, you know what you're getting. So, you know, you're just your simple emollients that are as cheap as chips. Um, but they're really hydrating, really good you know, for the skin. And they only tend to contain things like liquid paraffin or white paraffin rather than all the other ingredients that could potentially you know interact with with your skin and could potentially cause harm in in the baby so i always think keep it as simple as possible okay great um so i specialize in pre and postnatal fitness and wellness what are from as i said i often or in fact I would always advise anyone that I'm training prenatally, postnatally, I would always advise make sure you've been cleared to exercise by your GP first. What are kind of the standard exercise and dietary recommendations during pregnancy? And what are the things, What when would it occur that you would say, look, actually, you need to start pulling it back? Okay, so yeah, you're probably far more experienced in this than than myself. But um, I would usually say in terms of pregnancy, carry on with the exercise that you're used to doing um, until the point where it becomes uncomfortable or difficult for you. And when that happens, you know, step it back a little bit. So take more breaks, drink more water, adapt the exercises slightly so that they're not as uh, intense for your body. And if you're starting to get pains or you know, uh, you're not feeling well or you're dizzy, then you stop and we, we find something else for you. But it is really important to continue exercising through pregnancy if possible, because we know that, you know, it, it, it tends to mean that you have a healthier pregnancy an easier labour and an easier recovery post labour. So it is something I'd love people to continue. But I don't also want people to push themselves too far. Um, So I think, you know, the minute that you think, actually, I can't really hold a conversation whilst doing this exercise, I think it's, it's, it's it's the time to give yourself a little break, take a breather and then go back into it. Yeah, absolutely. I always recommend, I mean, the first trimester, um, the first trimester is largely down to your pre-pregnancy fitness level. So I think that massively comes into play there. And then as the pregnancy progresses, I my basic rule of thumb is that I never work above my well never work above my 70% maximum effort at that time. So, you know, my maximum effort, my 100% effort at 24 weeks is going to be very different to my maximum effort at 36 weeks. So, I never go near the 70% mark of whatever my 100% would be at that stage of pregnancy. So, I never work to exhaustion. But for some women, you might pull that back even further and certainly me now. I mean, I'm, I'm 30, oh my gosh, <laughs> like, wait, how many <laughs> weeks am I? I'm 32 weeks pregnant, um, but it's a twin pregnancy. So already now I'm not really going anywhere above my 50% maximum effort because I just, my body is working so hard already. So being able to sort of, as you're saying, pull it back and adjust. And if you're not sure, speaking to someone who's qualified in pre and postnatal fitness. So I, I you know absolutely agree with everything you've said if we could just move on now to a few postpartum things um you've had your baby it's an amazing amazing experience of course you've you've just gone through that how did you find going through birth as a medical professional but also as a first time mother did it open you know, did it suddenly open up a completely different perspective on things or how did you find that um, well, I don't know if you know my birth 
story. <laughs> um, but it was a bit of a rogue one because I ended oh. up um, giving birth to my baby in my bath without the midwives there. <laughs> um, so it all happened just very quickly. And I... I, I I think as a medical professional, I was in this weird um, zone where I was like, okay, I know each step. I've seen a birth before. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. And then the other part of me was like, oh my God, I'm going to die. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it was just this really weird dichotomy. Um, and I was like, you know, when, when the... Uh, amniotic stack started to come out so I um it, it hadn't broken when that started to come out I was like what is this and then I was like Wait, no so sorry you're on you know, your you... own well I was with my husband but um oh my God. <laughs> I was like I was like what is this what's coming out of me and then I was like no Sarah doctor hat on you know that that's your amniotic sack stop freaking out it's okay um so, so yeah w- weird weird but amazing <laughs> Um, <laughs> what, did it just go too quick for you to to get? Did you ever want to be in hospital? You wanted a home birth. Uh, yeah. So, uh, well, originally I thought hospital, and then COVID happened, and I wanted my hubby to be around, so I switched mm. that over to a um, a home birth. Mm. And um, I think what had happened is I'd probably been in labour a couple of days before, but I actually just thought they were muscular problems. So I was doing all these yoga and Pilates online classes, <laughs> and I was I even did a hit class. It was like a pre, pre- prenatal kind of cardio hit class, oh, um, God. like few hours before I was like come on Sarah snap out of this um, <laughs> so I think that all progressed my labor really quite nicely <laughs> um and so when I called the midwives at seven in the morning I was like look you know my my contractions are now um you know a couple of minutes apart they were like well you know chill first time mum it's unlikely, you know, it's unlikely mm. to, to be quick. It'll probably come sometime tomorrow. But, you know, why don't you just watch a movie or mm. or or um, uh, take a bath? And I was like, okay then, right. Um, and at the time I was thinking, like, I don't, I don't think I can watch a movie. This is pretty severe. But I was like, all right, I'll just sit in a bath. And then within two hours it was out. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And so you delivered your own baby. Yeah. And 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 did you break the amniotic sac? How did you it, so to... when as it came out, um, the the sac, the sac burst as well. So... Wow! Oh my gosh! And so did the did the medical team arrive fairly soon afterwards, or did you cut the cord? Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I as soon as um the as soon as my husband caught him, um oh I was God. like, right, he's breathing. Call the ambulance. Um, so ambulance came. Um, within probably about 20 minutes so there was this weird 20 minutes where it was just the three of us and like <laughs> I'm just wow. staring dumbfoundedly at this newborn oh baby my, my, my husband's running around trying to find towels <laughs> <laughs> I mean I feel like I could just talk to you about this for the rest of the podcast I'm completely <laughs> blown away as I'm sure many people listening <laughs> will be um <laughs> But but I've got to ask you these postpartum questions, even though Sorry, I just yes. want to know more about that 20 minutes. Um, but so <laughs> the question is, what can women expect at their six week check, which sounds very mundane compared to what we've just been talking about. But what can women expect at their six week check, including women who have had a cesarean? 
mundane but important so um, at the moment a lot of six-week checks are actually being done over, over the phone rather than in person because of coronavirus so mm. it's it's a little bit different now um traditionally you would have an examination so you'd get your blood pressure checked um we you know examine your stomach um, and the womb and then have a look, look at any tears or any stitches that you might have um, and then we'd go through a bunch of questions like, um, you know, how are you getting on? Are you breastfeeding? You know, how are you feeling? Any pains? Any aches? Are you still bleeding? Um, mm. Have you thought about contraception? And very importantly, you know, talking about baby blues and postpartum um, depression. Mm-hmm. Um, with cesarean recovery, it's it's kind of almost identical. It's just that we also examine the um, the wound just to make sure that that's healing properly and that that women are able to kind of get on with the activities of daily living by that point because six weeks is usually the time at which we'd say you know it should have um healed quite well but yeah it's nothing to but at the moment um most of those are being done on the phone so I've got my appointment next week and it's just a telephone consultation so um we won't get those other aspects of the examination which is a shame and I also think that um, over the phone you're less likely to open up about postpartum depression maybe I'm wrong and I'd, I'd love to think that people are still open about it but I think sometimes it can be very difficult to gauge that kind of um rapport um over the phone so I you know I do hope that there are if there are women out there that are struggling with their their moods and are scared to speak to their doctor on the phone about it that you know they 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 do what they can to try and do that and if if they're struggling over the phone then maybe even just writing a little letter or an email to your doctor um so for me as a fitness you know and recovery specialist for prenatal and postnatal women that is something that worries me because there's so much that can be missed there in terms of core rehabilitation Mm. or um you know, even even like an internal pelvic floor assessment, all exactly. of those sorts of things. Um, how can women, in terms of physical symptoms, for example, in my second, after my second uh, birth, I had some abnormal bleeding that went on. I mean, it ended up being absolutely fine, but it went on for a few months. Every now and again, wow. I'd have this really weird sort of just episode and it was really important that I was in touch with my medical team at that time and that they were able to assess every assess everything and just even simply feeling my tummy and saying no okay this all feels good and it looks okay blah blah Mm. blah if women feel like there's something really physical would they be advised to go to um, the hospital to see their midwifery team or you know I know that sometimes GPs are still doing face-to-face so if it gets to that point can they push is it can they push for that Mm, so I would I would look at this six-week telephone consultation as a bit of a triage so I would say you know if there's anything that's highlighted by asking you know by your doctor asking those questions then at that point they should really be examining so if you go into your six-week check and say actually I'm still bleeding quite a lot then that should prompt the doctor to say okay we need to actually look at this or if you say you know I'm I'm getting really bad stomach pains or you know whatever the problem is um it should only it should only act as a triage system and at that point if the doctor says you know if you say anything like that the doctor should really be bringing you in or sending you to your midwife um uh, or the hospital you know depending what the problem is okay 
Fantastic. Thank you. And uh, just a very quick thing from my side of things, again, in terms of mental health, you touched on postnatal depression. I just want to mention to anyone that's listening that there is uh, there are, of course, there are other um, postnatal mental health issues that can crop up. But in particular, with depression and anxiety, I knew I didn't have depression and I didn't qualify for that. But I was I also knew that I was really struggling with my mental health and it turned out that I had postnatal anxiety. And uh, that, again, is really common in women so I think if you feel like look, I'm not depressed I'm not crying every day but I'm checking my baby's temperature every half an hour and I'm really worried about you know this and that that actually postnatal anxiety is also something that's really common and and you know you should push to have the support that you need in that area um so okay we touched on constipation and <laughs> that postnatalist I mean I'm taking iron tablets and I'm I'm actually okay like I've had a few little issues every now and again with constipation but nothing really concrete yeah. <laughs> sorry excuse the term but um but in terms of postnatally I've struggled both times because I just especially in that immediate postnatal period I've just pushed a baby out everything's very tender down there and I was like I just don't want to push down there anymore mm. what what can you do to help constipation postnatally I think you know partly it is that fear that initial fear of I don't I'm not ready to do a poo I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna keep it in a day longer and I, I know that that's like a really natural way of thinking because it's like no no nothing else can come out of here but honestly that will make things worse because the longer that your stool remains kind of within the bowels and it doesn't come out the longer that um it, it has to harden up and the water can get extracted from it so it, it's not it's not great to hold it in but I think the other issue is that a lot of people end up with piles after Mm. Um, giving birth because of all mm. the pushing and that in itself um, can aggravate the constipation because of the pain in that area and um, and because of the swelling um, so what can you do well I think firstly um, it's always about kind of diet and lifestyle so we know drinking plenty of fluids will help rehydrate that poo to let it all out um, and eating lots of fiber to try and make sure it's nice and soft and, and squishy um sorry I don't know why I'm I'm being so vocal about poo um <laughs> but if you need it there are laxatives that are safe for you to take so don't be scared of that if you need it and we also okay. know that just things like just walking so just you know taking very gentle exercise obviously you're not really going to be you know doing any anything exciting in terms mm. of exercise um immediately postnatally but just moving very gently can can help your bowels um uh, w with with opening so i think just those kind of simple things and then if you still struggle your doctor you can get yeah. um things for your piles and you can get laxatives yeah i mean bowel bowel health is so so important for so many reasons but again um as a fitness specialist for things like diastasis recti, which women mm. um, are often concerned with postnatally and how to sort of help that rehabilitation progress, gut health and bowel function are a really important part of that. So it sounds really funny and like a little, oh, yeah, you know, let's just talk about poo. But actually, it's really important that you make sure that you can do everything you can to make sure you have a really efficient um, gut and, and bowel function postnatally. It is actually really important. Um, so thank you for your advice on that. Um, I wanted to just talk to you about 
incontinence as well, which can be mm. an issue for many postnatal women. So can you just talk to us a little bit about that and what the options are out there for treatment? Well, you know, urinary incontinence is so common in um, postnatal women because um, our pelvic floors have been stretched, you know, to their extreme. Um, you know, one way if you're thinking about getting pregnant or you're currently pregnant at the moment, you know, one way to try and aid that is to actually start your pelvic floor exercises from now. So start them as early as you can you know even if you're not wanting to get pregnant you should be doing pelvic floor exercises yeah. anyway but certainly it will it will definitely help postnatally if you've already got a fairly strong um, pelvic floor um to start with but once you have you know had the baby you can start your pelvic floor exercises straight away so unlike a lot of other exercises where you may need to kind of wait a little bit your pelvic floor exercises can be commenced straight away um, and yeah. there are loads of apps out there that can help you if you're not sure what you should be doing. But I also think it's really important to think about products. So, you know, I don't, there are loads of women out there that will use, you know, sanitary pads or just tissues and things like that in their, in their knickers. But actually there are lots of products out there so that if you are suffering with any leaking, that you've got the right product so you can actually feel comfortable and still feel human because it's such yeah. a, you know, you feel so different after a pregnancy. Everything feels yeah. different down there. That the last thing you want to do is be worrying about smells or leaks or things yeah. like that so I think you know those are really important aspects to it but if you know if your, your simple pelvic floor exercises aren't helping products are not making you feel okay about things then it is about seeing your doctor again because they can refer you to um women's physiotherapy who mm -hmm. will have specific exercises that can help you with and specific um tools and implements that they use to try and help um, yeah. I guess on the very extreme side of things, there are also surgical interventions that can be done. Mm -hmm. But for most women, it will improve with those really kind of uh, persistent types of exercises. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Thank you. Um, I want to talk to you just before we uh, get to the end of this podcast about sort of mm. your personal experience of parenting versus your medical expertise so um we've talked before about co-sleeping i've seen you mention that on your on your social media what are your mm. thoughts on co-sleeping as a medical professional and then also as a mother yourself well with the doctor hat on um in general we are we don't always recommend co-sleeping because there are increased risks of SIDS, so um sudden infant de death syndrome um and obviously the aim is to try and reduce that risk as much as possible and to mm. do so it, the recommendations are that the baby is um in a crib or a side cot by itself on a harder mattress without any blank without any kind of loose blankets or duvets or pillows or anything like that and that can all be very difficult to achieve if you're co-sleeping um but I suppose with a mummy hat on, I have been co-sleeping because the minute I put Harris down in his um, little crib, he screamed his head off. He does not yeah. like to be left alone. And I yeah. don't blame him. We're still in that fourth trimester period. He's still, you know, really young and doesn't really know what the hell's going on yeah. <laughs> and just wants a bit of kind of mummy cuddle. And I don't want to put him through that. I don't want him to have to kind of cry himself to sleep. Um, yeah. So I have been co-sleeping, but I think it's so important if you are thinking about co-sleeping that you are informed of all the risks, but also of all the ways that you can try and minimize those risks. So mm. things like the Lullaby Trust 
have a lot of information on there about how you can minimize that. So making sure that you're, um, you're not putting the baby in between yourself and your partner, um, mm-hmm. making sure that there's no kind of duvets or blankets or anything like that surrounding your baby um making sure that you're not drinking or taking any illicit drugs or anything like that beforehand or that you're not overly tired you know those are just a few examples but they do give Mm. a whole list of ways that you can try and minimize the risk as much as possible if you do want to co-sleep amazing thank you so much um just two quick questions before we end in terms of painkillers um and breastfeeding and you you just touched there on alcohol consumption and breastfeeding is it okay to take painkillers? Is it okay to drink some alcohol? You know, we hear a lot about paracetamol versus ibuprofen during pregnancy. What are kind of the guidelines around that? So it is safe to use um, paracetamol and ibuprofen um, during uh, breastfeeding. That's not a problem. Obviously, if there's any reasons that you shouldn't be taking either of those for other things, then, then absolutely not. But um, they are safe to take uh, only a very small amount of, of ibuprofen goes through to the breast milk um, and mm-hmm. to the baby. And neither of them are thought to cause any harm to the baby. So that's reassuring. There are other types of painkillers like codeine, for example, that aren't considered as safe. Um, but if you're thinking just, you know, bog standard headache or sore throat you know then it's yeah. it's a matter of ibuprofen and paracetamol i think if you if you've had a cesarean you'll also be provided with some strong painkillers but they are recommended as safe yeah so you you, you can be given um stronger painkillers and that may include codeine um but they will give you a, an amount that would be safe for you and for your baby um and they they would ensure that it's not enough to cause any drowsiness in you or any issues with your baby so um anything that you've been prescribed I wouldn't worry about because that means that it is safe um, but always tell your doctor that you are breastfeeding anytime that they do prescribe anything just as a gentle reminder and in terms of alcohol? Well, um, it's one of those things where, yes, it would probably be safer not to drink anything at all. But I also think that it's important that, you know, women who, who've just had kids already feel that their 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 life has changed significantly and that, you know, they they may not be able to kind of socially integrate as well as they used to. And so I think it is still really important for a sanity side of things that if you want to still have a little drink, that you can. Um yeah. We do know that alcohol does um, enter the breast milk. Um, so whatever you drink could you know, potentially uh, go to your baby. But there are ways to try and minimise that. So, for example, if you can try and um, wait two to three hours bef- between a drink and your next breastfeed, then that would certainly help. Or if you decide to express beforehand and therefore you can have a drink and then give your baby a bit of your express mm. milk, um, that would be ideal as well. And... Um... Uh, I think, does it depend also sort of how recently postpartum you are? Um, I'm sure I've heard stories about women that have like one-year-old babies who are still nursing who are like, oh, I just slipped a little bit of whiskey. They're usually the older generations. I'm not going to not gonna lie here. I'm going to call the older generations out a bit. But they're like, oh, I just put a little bit of whiskey in his milk and he was, I slept all night. So <laughs> I'm yeah. sure I've heard that. That is not medical advice. But Absolutely I think, not. as you're saying, being able to have a drink, um, you know, just in moderation, provided you put in place all those those um, safety systems that you just mentioned in terms of expressing or perhaps leaving it a few hours between a feed, you know, potentially it's okay to have the, the occasional drink and breastfeed. Yeah, I think, you know, a drink occasionally 
it's fine. I don't want but you no, getting No picked. whiskey in the bottle. <laughs> no, pre- preferably no whiskey in the bottle. <laughs> if it's not for you, it's not for... It's not, there's no point. <laughs> um, finally, again, just to touch on exercise, we've talked about it prenatally. My advice to women is always check with your GP before engaging in any exercise postnatally. What kind of qualifies you as ready to exercise again? Well, I mean, usually it's uh, good question. Um, so it's usually when when a mother feels ready. Um, that's that's always a primary thing. So when mm. you feel that you're actually you know fit enough or or healthy enough to to get moving again, um, that's that's always my number one question. A lot of mums worry about a diastasis recti, which you mentioned earlier. So you know mm. the uh, where the abdominal muscles at the front kind of split open and. Um, and often we do need to examine that just to make sure that that's come together nicely. Um, but it shouldn't be a reason you can't exercise just because you have that. It just means that we need to amend the types of exercises and potentially end up referring you onwards to get um, specialised treatment into how to how to improve that. Um, I would always say, you know, start off slowly, build it up. Um, mm-hmm. Your bodies are amazing. They do amazing things. Um, but there's no need to go, you know, from naught to 100. Um, you can just slowly build that up so that, that way you don't cause any more harm because we do still have quite a lot of relaxing, which is a hormone in our body um, that causes our ligaments to relax in order to prepare ourselves for the, the labour. But we still have that in our system, mm-hmm. you know, weeks to months after. So um, we don't want to cause any excess injury. So I think it's just all about taking it easy, taking it slow, stopping where where you're, you know, struggling and, and going through it that way. And if you do have any problems, just seeing your doctor and having a chat to physio and, and prenatal and postnatal fitness gurus like yourself. <laughs> I remember a GP once saying to me, it takes nine months to make a baby and it take, takes nine months to recover. And that always really stuck in my mind. And, um, you know, from my expertise, as you said, building foundations, starting, you know, sl- I hate the word slowly because it's not... It's not about you can't do this, you can't do that. But I think what's really important is that you build strong foundations before Mm. engaging in higher intensity exercise because obviously that can lead to injury and all sorts of other issues. So um, brilliant. Thank you so much. Just to end, I was hoping you could share your Strong Like Mum moment. If this is not your labour, then I don't know what else, because that is now my new Strong Like Mum moment. Oh my God, that I hadn't amazing. even thought of that, my labour being, being a Strong Like Mum moment. But <laughs> yes, hell yes, it should be that. Yeah, absolutely. But so what is your Strong Like Mum moment? A time during pregnancy or parenting where you or someone you know overcame a struggle and you felt really inspired by that? I think my, my labour wasn't a choice. Um, you know, so that I don't know if I actually have, you know, had thought about that as my strong like mum moment, because, you know, that is something that was enforced on me rather than a decision that I made or something that I did. Um, mm. But in all honesty, I've only had a baby for five weeks. So there's only so many you know, events and things that I, I, I've done that that make that make me feel um strong in that way having said that i think it's always about the little things if i'm completely honest um you know the that day that you first go out for a walk um mm. or the day that you manage to go and get a coffee with your baby or you know it's i think it's just really important to celebrate those little moments that you feel proud of yourself because it's a really difficult thing to have a baby in I don't think I appreciated it as much 
before having this baby I don't think I appreciated how difficult it can be to to enjoy the little things like being able to just have a shower yeah yeah (laughs) yeah for, for me it's 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 the celebrations of the little things that coffee made me feel on top of the world <laughs> that coffee I had this morning after four hours sleep yeah. um, thank you so much for your time today I I so appreciate it your expertise um, and all your advice has just been absolutely invaluable thank you so much oh. uh, where can people find you online and find out more about you um, well, uh, you can pop onto my Instagram, say Dr. Sarah Kayat, um, and I've also got a podcast as well, which I'm going to plug. Um, it's called Steph's Drugs and Rock and Roll, and it's myself and three other doctors all having a big old natter about everything medical, so come have a little listen to us on there. Absolutely amazing. Thank you so much. No worries at all. Thank you. This podcast was sponsored by Pregnacare. Expert nutritional care for pregnancy with you every step of the way. To find out more, visit www.pregnacare.com.